I'm going to be reading, starting from verse 9, I'm going to be reading two texts. One of them is where we're going to stay in Matthew 5, but the first one is verse number 2. It says this, But you are a chosen race. This is verse 9. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which we war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. With that in, in our hearts, we go into Matthew 5, 14. Matthew 5, 14. This is Jesus speaking in the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Please be seated. So you guys remember... Uh, we spent about eight months plus in the Sermon on the Mount in this church. Um, we went verse by verse through it. And I mean, if you guys remember where you were in your journey in the faith at that point when we were doing that, I don't know about you. I was in a totally different place than where I am with Christ today, right? Um, and it's been a long time ago um, as well. So, this is not just a refresher. This is a zoomed out series over the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to do a few sermons uh, throughout the next few weeks. Uh, our brother, Manny, has been laboring through um, um, the, uh, the series in Colossians. I'm uh, sorry. Um, the, uh, the series that he's been preaching in Thessalonians. For us throughout the, uh, the 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 time we've had with him, and he's been preaching to us what it looks like to be that godly church, that good church, um, that church that glorifies God, uh, that healthy church, what the Christ expects us to be. And we guys, you guys remember, we went through to see how that church was established, and we've seen that it was established through suffering. Not only that. When Paul writes to them, he doesn't just tell them how to be good Christians. He tells them how to suffer for the name of Christ. Not only that, all the churches in Macedonia, he tells them that. So, the series that's going to follow that preaching is going to be um, the kingdom of Christ. And in between those two, you guys remember, Basu preached to us last week, and he was communicating to us um, what really matters in the Christian life. What we should focus our hearts to serve the Lord with, right? And today, we're going into a series called The Kingdom of the Son, The Kingdom of Christ. And today's sermon is entitled, The Life That Glorifies God, right? Both texts that I read to you and even the, the, the text that was read in 1 Corinthians 10 was communicating to us how we should glorify God in our lives, even when it doesn't make sense, right? Like, if someone's conscience is going to be seared by what you eat, do not eat that food for the sake of your brother. And you might ask, why is my life judged by someone else's conscience? And Paul responds to us and says, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. It's not just about us and our rights, right? It's about the glory of God. And today we're going to go to the Lord to learn from Him what that means. So the first thing He gives us is this analogy about 
a light, the light, right? He says, you are the light of the world. Every analogy in the Bible, every parable in the Bible has one meaning. So we need to find out what he means when he says, you are the light of the world. You can interpret it for yourself, and that's what usually happens to analogies. Like we kind of destroy them by over-interpreting them. You could say, oh, he means I just should be smiling all the time to everyone. Right? Or we could say, I could just I should be like successful and let the world see how Christians will be successful. You know what I mean? Or I should like talk about how my life is perfect all the time. Because, you know, God does so many things for me. And not, not mention the parts of my life. Not even notice the parts of my life that are unbelievably hard to face, let alone tell others. So we can interpret it like that. When Christ says, you are the light of the world, we might think we're like the people that light up the room in that sense of the secular format. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what this metaphor, that this analogy of the light is trying to explain to us. To, to understand what it means, we got to slow down and look at what Christ is saying. What is the, mo the main point of you are the light of the world? Well, Jesus starts by proclaiming what we are. So it's an identity more than anything else, right? We Something has taken place to make us to make us what we are. Jesus said to us, of course, and we remember this in the book of John, right? In the Gospel of John, just like I am not from the world, you are no longer from the world. You used to be from the world, but I have taken you out of the world, right? Or Jesus says, the Father draws to him whoever belongs to God, so that they may believe in Christ. So that transformation, God calling us to Christ, God opening our eyes to the gospel, us believing in Christ, is us literally departing from the world in every spiritual sense. But our bodies are here, we still live here, we're still in the world, in the body. Spiritually though, we don't belong in this place anymore. That's why Peter told us, you have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness into light. You are a holy priesthood now. A people, a people of God's own possession. God's people. Right? A new identity. A new kingdom under which we live. Right? So you see this, just immediately you see this contrast between kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. So by definition, everyone that is in the world falls under that kingdom of darkness as we used to live in the past as well. So we can think of light as we try to figure out this metaphor, this analogy. We can think of light naturally, right? What do you think of this, this light, right? The sun, all light that you use. You can think of like light has a purpose. Its purpose is to light the place up, right? To, to help us see. But we also know a little bit from science, like light is the fastest traveling thing. Because they haven't defined it as either particles or waves. They don't, they're not decided on it in science, right? But it's the fastest traveling one that we know. It's unbelievable how fast it is. And we also know light has colors, right? One of the main reasons why we have the rainbow is because when light is refracted over water, we can see all the colors of light. And you guys might have even had a rhyme to, to remind yourself of like those colors in light. So when we see anything, I look at that table, it looks white. It's not because it's white. It's because it's reflecting all the colors of light back to right? When we look at something that's green, it's because it filters out the green and kind of absorbs the rest of the light, right? So light has this kind of properties. And we, I mean, with Google, you can research and find out a lot more things about light than I just mentioned right here. So 
Like every analogy needs that idea of like, we've got to think of what it naturally means. That's where the older meaning is. Jesus is not trying to teach calculus here. He's speaking to a bunch of people who are not educated. So when he says to them, think of this as light, he's not, he's trying to make it simple for them to understand from what they already understand to be light. Every human being experiences light all day, every day, right? So that's what we get from the natural sense of what it means to be light. How about the biblical sense of this word light? What do we have in the Bible about this word light? For example, if you take yourself to the first page of the Bible, it reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And this is God's pronouncement of what light is like. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Light is how we define day and night. The natural light is what we're talking about. The, the light that God has created, right? It's good compared to darkness. You can see through it, you can function through it, you can understand things when light is on. If you're in this room, we mess it up, you come in, it's totally dark, chances are you're full, right, to start with. Second of all, you can barely do anything. You can't read a book in it. You can't do nothing, basically. You can't even say hi to people because you can't see them. You might bump into people, you might shout, but that's basically what you got. So, light comes in. God creates light as a primary thing before he creates anything else because kind of light gives meaning to everything else that we do in the physical world. So this is the first place we meet the meaning of light. Then there's a spiritual meaning to light as well in the Bible. So I'm just going to run through them as fast as I could. First of all, the triune God is depicted as dwelling in light. This is what the Bible teaches in 1 Timothy 6.16. He alone, God, has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Right? So God, when you think of God not being visible to people, because if people see him, they will die. If you, if you were thinking about how do I hide myself, you probably think, in the darkness, that's, that's the best way to hide yourself. But God represents himself, or puts himself inside a light that nobody can see through, instead of a darkness that nobody can see through. Of course, there are metaphors that show us God also, in his presence, brings this great darkness and cloud and Room. Then he dwells inside this unapproachable light. So, light is the only appropriate covering for the holiness of the God we worship. And then we have Christ who comes into the scene in the New Testament and tells us in John 9 5, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. From within the Trinity, the light of the world is Christ, who reveals himself to the world. So Jesus uses this metaphor of light when he displays himself to the world, right? When he shows up in the body and humans can actually see him, he says, I am the light of the world. When humans can see him, hear from him, can see his actions, can see his holiness, can perceive his teachings, and can be led by his life. When he presents all of his holiness in ways that we can understand, he says that is light. And he says, I am the light of the world. So he becomes the light that we can approach. He comes 
to us in a way we can relate to him. But he says, clearly qualifies it. He is the light of the world while he is in the world. Right? So I hope that informs us a little bit. It matters that humans can perceive light in the world for that to be a light in the world. The concept of light requires proximity and presence. It has to do something meaningful for us to perceive. Perception is necessary for something to be light. Right? So we learn a lot from that as well. And then we have Revelations 21, 23, which tells us, in the future, when we enter the heavenly Jerusalem, this is the picture, and the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives light, and its lamp is the lamp. So we see the Father and the Son being the source of light in heaven. So we may not know a lot of things about heaven, but one thing we clearly know about heaven is that there will neither be day or night. It will always be bright, because God will be the light of the city and the Lamb, the Son of God, Jesus will be the Lamb of the city. And they will always dwell with us forever and ever and ever. And then we also get what believers in Christ are like in comparison to these ideas of light. To the light that God the Father is. To the light that the Son is. To his disciples, Jesus explained, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never work, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, Jesus is not only the light of the world, whoever believes in him changes. Whoever believes in him walks in the light and will have the light of life in their hearts. And Jesus also said, I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Sorry about that. Um, so, we see that Jesus is teaching us Something happens to those who believe in Christ. Something happens to those who interact with Christ, who is the light of the world. All of a sudden, they're not just left in a dark world, confused about how to live, confused about why they are here, confused about the meaning of life, confused about what's right and wrong. All of a sudden, they start walking in the light. They start walking and seeing where they're walking. They start walking and recognizing themselves, seeing themselves. How do you see yourself in the mirror? Because you turn on the light. There is light. And it gets reflected on the mirror as you see yourself. The same spiritual reality takes place for those who believe in Christ. When they believe in Him, they stop walking in darkness. And then the Apostle Paul comes in Ephesians and tells us this. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The true light in this place, as described to us, is Christ. And those who believe in Him are children of light. They are termed children of light. And they are also called light in the Lord. In our union with Christ, we ourselves are light as we reflect His light in our life. So we are the branches of Christ and He is the vine. We are the body of Christ and He is the head. So this has to do with our new identity in union with Christ. Don't forget that part. You are light in the Lord. You are no longer an independent, rebellious creature, but a new creature united with Christ. 
You are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So just like the shape, the color, and the features of all things are visible because of the light that is naturally present, we also know that those who are in the Lord glorify Him, show His light, show who He is to the world. Just like Christ showed who the Father is to the world by coming to the world as a human being. And the cool thing about it is, it's not like the natural light, right? This light goes wherever we go. You can hide under a tunnel, it won't disappear. You can be in the night, it won't disappear. You can be in the darkest parts of the world, both spiritually and physically. It doesn't disappear. Wherever you go, the light is there. The light that comes from Christ is boundless. It's inexhaustible. It cannot be overcome by anything else. So Christ has no boundaries, limitations. Wherever we are, the light shines on us and we reflect His glory through. John 1, 4 says this, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Whatever smart stuff is in the world, whatever technological advancements are in the world, whatever crafty new trend is in the world, whatever strength is in the world, whatever power is in the world, whatever deception is in the world, whatever a group of people, if not the whole world, follows, has cannot hold a candle to the light of Christ. It cannot resist the light of Christ. It cannot resist the new life we have in Christ. There is nothing that is able to stop us if we actually recognize the light that is coming from Christ in our lives. So there is darkness in the world. There is darkness that we struggle with in our lives every day. There's darkness without, there's darkness within. There's darkness in the relationships that we interact with. There's darkness that we struggle with within the church, as well as there's much darkness we struggle with as we go into the world. The world is full of darkness. It has zero light in it. In fact, when we go into the world and we experience so much darkness, we are actually the only light present. We are the lights in the world, right? Is what Jesus is teaching us. So there's nothing big, there's nothing complicated. There's not, nothing that is gonna overpower this new life that Christ has given us. So darkness, if you've noticed so far in your interaction with light, as soon as you turn on the light, the darkness is gone. Doesn't try to open the door and leave slowly. It's gone. As soon as the light is on, the darkness is gone. So darkness always leaves way to the light. Or the life that Christ gives us overcomes death and sin and corruption and darkness in every form. So we can clearly see that there's a lot attached to the analogy of light in the Bible. Then Jesus adds to that analogy an additional analogy to make it very specific to what we're trying to have a conversation about. It says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Compare your light to that reality. This is mentioned to pinpoint the purpose of the previous analogy, right? Not only is this about the purpose and the meaning of light and the general idea in the Bible about this idea of light, but this is about, is your light visible or not? Just like a city on a hill cannot be hidden, you can see it from far away. Is the light that we have in Christ visible or not visible? Is the conversation that Jesus is having with us. 
This is interesting. Jesus mentioned salt before this analogy. Um, those two things have just one purpose in life. If you have salt, its purpose is to preserve and to give taste to the food. That's it. If it loses its taste, loses its ability to preserve food, it has no value. Light is the same way. If light does not make things visible, if it doesn't light up the room, nobody turns on the light to do anything else. You don't warm yourself with it. You can get a heater. A stove is way better than a light to warm you up. In fact, if you notice, most of the lights, where we have them, is either on the roof, the ceiling, or high in the room, right? Somewhere high, a standing light, whatever it is. We try to make sure that the light is above all things so that it doesn't get covered by anything. And the higher the light is in your room, the more visible it makes the whole room. So Jesus is asking, is that the way your Christian life is visible? Are you as loud, if not louder, than the life that speaks in the world? I don't mean shout. Are you as bold as the world is bold about what they pursue? Is Jesus' question. And if you're listening to me, the first thing that should come to you, your mind is that sounds very scary. That sounds like I don't want to do that. That sounds uninteresting to me. Or that sounds like I'm going to get in a lot of trouble if I become this person who in a society where Christianity is considered, I don't know, old, ancient, irrelevant, or cute maybe, useless, for me to be this bold person who says, no, Christianity is more than you can imagine. It's everything. It sounds like I'm going to lose a lot of friends. It sounds like I'm going to look stupid. It sounds like I'm going to not be able to defend what my claim is. It sounds like a lot of trouble for no reason. Because I'm not going to overcome anything people are thinking. Jesus is saying, is your life showing this light of Christ? Is your light visible? Just wants us to get to that idea. To get to that idea, our light must be visible. Forget all those backlashes from your mind. Everything that you're worried about in your heart. Everything that you're worried will happen to you in the future. You cannot control the future. We don't even know how long we're going to live. Focus on one thing and one thing alone. Right now, if you're a believer, a believer, this very second, in this room, outside, anywhere you go, make your light visible. That's what really matters. No one lights a lamp and puts it on, under a basket, Jesus tells us, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In other terms, if you're light, you only have one purpose. It's to light the room, to eliminate, right? If you hide yourself, zero purpose. Just like this salt, if it loses its taste, why would you put salt to season your food if it doesn't give you salty taste? What would it, its purpose be? Like, you're actually consuming some stone for no reason. Obviously, it doesn't do anything for you at that point. So you just get rid of it, right? So Jesus is making sure for us to understand who we are and for us to recognize if we hide our lights, if we hide our identity as Christians, the purpose of our entire life. And I don't mean our Christian life. We don't have a Christian life and a secular life. We're Christians. Our entire life is Christian, right? We are disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, people who do what he did on the earth, people who show his excellencies, his holiness, royal priesthood, 
right? If you hide that, your life is just no meaning, is what you say. So I'm not trying to pressure you into thinking the hardships that the Christian life has and nothing else. I'm trying to show you this is what the gospel demands out of every Christian. We cannot dismiss this and live without it. We can't. This is the only purpose we have on this earth. The only source of joy we have. This is the only way we share the life of Christ in our hearts and in our lives. So Jesus says, in the same way, just like you don't hide a light under a basket, or you can't hide a city on a hill, let your light shine. Just like natural reality, we cannot, should not hide the light under a basket. Here's the, here's the thing that I want you guys to realize. We constantly hide the light that we have in the Lord. I'm not trying to accuse you. I'm saying we. Like, I do that possibly more than you. That's what I know about. Because I don't know how you hide your light. But I can guess, if you're anything like me, we hide our light because it's much more comfortable. Because we can make more friends. More people will like us. Very easy. Right? Good reason. We can be part of the culture. We don't have to be old-fashioned. We can go with whatever the flow is right now. It's easy to hide your life. Because we're sinners who are being sanctified by God's grace, if we stay by the flow in our own nature, that's your hide, your, your light completely hidden. So it takes effort. It takes struggle. It takes embracing suffering. It takes the kind of person who has to stick out in society, the kind of person who has to lose something to gain something greater to shine our life. And Jesus is not wasting his breath in this place. He's saying, don't hide your light. Shine it instead, because he knows if he didn't say anything, what would we do? We would hide our light. Because the world promises if you hide your light, you'll get life. You'll be loved by everyone. You'll be successful. You'll follow whatever is popular right now. You'll understand the trend in the world. You will get rich. You will be happy. You'll have amazing relationships. Everybody's going to be with you, right? And it happens immediately, right now. Right? It doesn't wait like you will get something later on. It's right now. If you're like the, the funny person who loves interacting with people, people are going to laugh with you and talk to you right now, right? If you're the person who puts effort into getting a lot of money or being successful in any way, it's going to pay off now and later in ways that you can perceive, experience, and your old self would love to enjoy So this is why Jesus is saying, shine your light. Don't hide it under a basket. You are the light of the world. Really understand your identity. If you hide yourself, you lose your identity. So let your light shine before others. What does that look like in our lives? How do we shine our lives? Like, if it's this hard, if it's so easy to hide our lives, how is it possible for us to go from that to bold, shining light that gives not only light to our own lives, light to the world? One Christian is a light to the world, to the entire world. One Christian. Before Christ told his disciples, only Christ was shining the light of God in this world. Now we have billions of Christians, right? One Christian represents 
Christ that way. What does it look like then? If it is this powerful, I just told you, no darkness will overcome it. Nothing is greater than this light. What does it look like? How is it this powerful and we're this scared to show it? How is it this powerful and we are completely struggling with it? We can't trust it yet. Well, Jesus says, first of all, to recognize what this light is or how you show it, Jesus completes his statement and he gives us information. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So when you light your like when your light is shining, how does that translate? The, the first thing that happens is people are able to see good works come out of your life. Right? They can see it, they can perceive it, believer or non-believer, and the only thing they're going to conclude is, this is God, thank God for this particular good work that he did through you. That's very interesting. So I'm telling you, right, there are lots of things people are, be, are going to be like, thank God for. For example, if you randomly go out there, Whatever amount of money you have, you give it to a random person. They're going to thank God for you. If a non-believer did the same thing, they're going to thank God for him. That's not the light we're talking about. So nothing that non-believers can do is what we're talking about. I mean, the whole earth gives glory to God. Because God made us, right? You know that like birds build nests and have young and they fly in the air and that gives glory to God. You know beavers kind of build their dams and like control the water and do all that and that gives glory to God. You know that right? Like you know that our dogs and our pets love us and we are so grateful for that. That gives glory to God. You know that? You know that right? You know that the natural man works really hard. So many of the things that we enjoy and experience, including these devices that we have in our hands, they're not just made by Christians. That gives glory to God. I mean, we're, we're worshiping using those instruments, right? That gives glory to God. That's not shining your light. Because by definition, neither the animals nor people who are not in the kingdom are in the light. All of creation is under a curse because of our fallenness, our sin. Not in the light. Creation is actually groaning to be in the light. For the revelation, the display of the sons of God, sons and daughters, that means. So it's not like that. So just let's get it out, out of our minds. It's not just by doing charity, by participating in politics, by becoming this amazing student, by becoming rich, by becoming this popular person, by becoming this person who laughs all the time, is the life to the room kind of person everywhere they go. That's not it. So you guys might be saying, dude, You've been speaking for so long, you haven't told us anything then. It's because it's important for us to feel the weight of what Christ is saying in this place. And if you do get the weight, everything else just flows naturally from it. If it's not all the things that I mentioned, and there's nothing wrong, by the way, by being successful, by being sociable, that's a good thing. You'd be awesome to do that as a Christian or anyone to do that. It's a good thing. There's nothing be with being successful, pursuing the things that really matter in your life. There's nothing wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But that does not show Christ in the world. Jesus is saying, let your light, who is Christ, shine or be visible. That shining looks like good works, which is only the one thing that the world can see. 
if you have good thoughts, if you, if you have good theology in your heart, if you even have good talk, the world cannot see that. Can't. Good works. In fact, Christ is no longer in the body, and he has left his church on the earth to represent him with good works, including suffering, right? The Bible tells us only we can see Christ, and only we can show Christ. Jesus himself told us in John 14, 19, as he's talking to his disciples in the upper room before he was crucified, like few minutes or hours before he was crucified, right? Before they went to the garden. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. This is John 14, 19. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So we see him because he saved us and made us his. He gave us a new birth and regenerated us and with new hearts. And now we are by His Spirit enabled day by day to be obedient from the heart to the gospel we heard about Christ Jesus our Lord. Fellowship with God is deeply connected with obedience to God. Love from the definition of Christ is defined by whoever loves me doesn't say, if you obey me, you love me. No. Whoever claims to love me also obeys me. Right? Love can be visible in the world. It's clear. Whoever loves Christ obeys Christ. And now we are called to make him visible. There is a work that Christians can do that make this God who dwells in an unapproachable light visible to even people who don't believe in it. What is the question that you hear from non-believers? Or what is that claim non-believers have all day, every day? Show me God and I'll believe in it. Who's supposed to do that? Us, who believe in Christ, who are indwelt by the living God, who is the Holy Spirit. So, this thing has been demonstrated for us by Christ as he lived on this earth. In Matthew 9, 6, this very phrase you will see. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home, and when the crowd saw it, they were afraid of God, of the power that was displayed. And they glorified God, who gave such gifts, such authority to men. That passage tells you these people did not believe Jesus was the Son of God. But they knew God was at work in his life through him. So as we approach our last question, what does the person look like who is the light of the world? So as, as I said, Jesus starts by saying, you are the light of the world. I just explained to you a bunch of nice things that you could do, like charity that we do as a church, right? Like even evangelism that we do as a church, and said, that's not the point of this. A computer can be programmed to preach the gospel to someone. The point is this. You are the light of the world. 
Your identity is the point. The point is what God has done in us when we first believe. That's the point. You're not supposed to be this person who does a bunch of things. No, you're just supposed to be the person you are in Christ already. This is why there is hope for us. If it was a task that we had to do, go out there, build this thing to glorify Christ, right? If we were told like Christ, the only way you can honor me is by literally dying on a cross, we'd be like, I don't think Christianity is for me. Or if you were told the only way you can glorify God is if you never lie, if you lie once for the rest of your life, you can't do it. You'd be like, knowing me, I don't think I can do that. If we were told, leave all your friends so you can glorify God, we know. I mean, you're asking me to live without people? I won't do it. Jesus is saying, no. It's not do me a bunch of tasks. Do for me a bunch of activities. Sacrifice a bunch of things for me. In that sense of doing tasks. But he's saying, no, you are the light of the world. You just need to be visible. As a person, God created you be in the new birth. So let's kind of run to it a little bit faster so we can finish sooner. For at one time, Ephesians 5, 8 continues, the one I read earlier, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. This is the command. And he explains it a little bit more. It says, For the fruit of light is found in all, the good, uh, all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Isn't that interesting? Paul is not saying, try to find a bunch of nice things to do, just do them. No. Really first understand what's true and good and light. According to scripture, obviously, right? Really learn the truth. And then instead of participating in the works of darkness, which is the only kind of work that we could do, expose it by your newfound truths, by your newfound identity in Christ when you first believe. Let your light shine. Don't think about doing a bunch of activities to please God, to become something you haven't been. Just clear out of your way the works of darkness that come from your old self by being transformed by the truth of God's Word. So, we're not lights in ourselves. We're just supposed to be in union with Christ, lights of the world. Paul puts it this way. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're like, I'm going to do something to please God. Paul says it's God that's at work in you. Not only to enable you to do the work, he's saying God is the one turning your hearts, making you willing to do good instead of bad. So kind of it makes us responsible for something, and that thing that we're responsible for is paying attention to our God, paying attention to the work that He's doing in our lives, being devoted to that with all of our hearts. And then the work that God is doing just flows out of our lives. It just flows. Ah, uh, let me simplify. Think of your life this way, right? All day long, think about the last week. What was your time spent on? What grabbed your attention? What got you excited all week last week? 
What is the one thing that you would do like when you're bored? What is the one thing that you're excited to do as long as, as soon as this sermon is over or this time at church is over? Think of that. When you're doing that, if all of those attention grabbing, resource grabbing, those things you spend most of your time with, most of your resources with, most of your relationships are, if that is not God, that literally kind of keeps you from living out your Christian life. Substitute them with if you spend your time with the Lord, seeking the Lord with all your heart. I'm talking about last week, right? Or the week to come. Think of it this way. If your heart, your time, your resources, your excitement is about the Word of God, it's about the life that God has given you that you don't even know about yet, this possible adventure that you don't even, you can't even name or understand yet, if it's focused on that, that's another life. That's basically what these scriptures are telling us. Focus on your sanctification. Focus on your salvation and then you'll bear fruit god is at work in you you will never fail and he knows you don't even have the desire to do that because it's hard i mean there are so many things that are grabbing our attention every day especially in the 21st century he knows it's hard yet he overcomes all of darkness to give you even the desire to do his good works that he has prepared for us So, as I conclude, I want to say this to you. Don't, don't base this on what I preached to you today. Base it on what Christ preached in this place. Go to the same passage in Matthew, Matthew 5. Look, really, look at your passage right now. Go to your Bibles, look at Matthew 5. Look up. In order to answer the question, how do we shine our lives? What kind of identity is given to us? You will see it in the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. <laughs> blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Even talks about those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. I mean, it says, rejoice when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you for my sake. Meaning, while you are doing good, people are saying horrible things about you, hating you, and persecuting you. He calls that happy. It makes sense to us where we live today. If we can imagine a person who is happy as being a person who's like, worthy of heaven. A person who knows, like, God cannot say anything against me. I've either already believed, so pay up. It's time to pay up. If God is going to be honest, if God is not going to lie, he said, if you believe in Christ, you'll be saved. Right? So I'm going to make him pay up. Because I did that already. People don't say that generally, but in reality, what we're used to believing is God owes us something because we believe. So that person is considered confident in Christ, a true Christian, right? They don't doubt their salvation. That person is rich in the spirit. That person can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with God and say to him, pay up. Or a person who's completely happy all the time. Like, no matter how bad life gets, they can smile, they can brush it off. That person is happy, anybody can understand. Or a person who can influence other people. Who can work hard or be bold or accomplish things and influence life. On the earth. Be successful. Influence people. We can see that person will be happy for sure, right? 
But the person who calls out evildoers, the person who says, I hate large corporations. They're destroying our climate. The person who ascends to this moral high, right? Constantly. The person who protests in front of like the government and says this or that to the government. You should you should rule this way, you should rule that way, whatever. That person seems like a happy person, a genuine person, a person that's making a difference. Jesus is saying the total opposite of all these things. And what? The person who's open-minded, who thinks everybody's fine, everybody's good, that person is considered a happy person, a good person, a person that is shining in the light, as a light in the world. A person who fights for good cause. Fights! Like a person who wouldn't even mind punching someone or going to war for a good cause. That is considered a hero. That works in this culture, or in any human culture, to be honest. I don't got nothing against any particular culture. A person whom society admires for the good he or she has done. I mean, if I quote you, if I asked you to name a few people who you think were amazing, who deserve to go to heaven, a lot of people start with Gandhi or Mother Teresa or whatever. You guys will know the names. You guys have your own people that you will call like that. And a person who has many friends and everybody loves and gets along with everyone and everybody supports, we consider that person to be happy and powerful and impactful in the world. Even if Jesus, like the pair, like the, the Beatitudes read like this, happy are those who inherit the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who shall be comforted by God. Happy are those who are comforted by God. That makes sense. Happy are those who shall inherit the earth. You're, you're, you're trying to tell me we're going to own the entire globe? Like, I'm excited to just own one apartment, right? We can see the happiness that comes from that. Happy are those who are righteous, as God gives them this amazing righteousness. Perfect, all the time. That's happy. We can see that. If just the Beatitudes, the teachings of Christ, just skip to the part that requires us to live, to be responsible for a type of life, we will be happy. What is the, com the commonality in all these things that I just explained or the way I misread the Beatitudes? What's the commonality? You can stay in this room, listen to those things, Walk out of this room, you don't need to do anything. You can be your natural self. You can go with the flow. That's us. And it's not just you. Non-believers can do the things that I just explained. So in the middle comes this big, big thing God puts. Jesus puts for us the most critical part of what he's teaching is happy is the person who mourns. What contradicts? A person who's struggling with their sin, they're, they're crying about it. A person who sees the thousands of people who die, I mean the thousands of infants that are aborted and really actually is bummed out by them. Like really sad. And really tries to do something about it and fails to do something about it. No matter how successful that person gets, the more closer they are to that issue, the more painful it will be for them. This didn't happen when we just first believed in Christ. When we first believed in Christ, what did we come to? We realized we're spiritually poor. We're sinners. All of us have sinned. And we can't even stop sinning. Worst of all, we love sin. It's exciting to us. That's what we plan every day. It didn't, it didn't just happen the first day we believed in Christ. The person who's most sanctified in the history of Christianity is going to be 
the poorest in spirit person. Right? So, as young people and as brothers and sisters, as fellow believers, I'm trying to tell you there's a life to be lived. There's a new identity that God has given us. We cannot do good on our own. We cannot do anything on our own. But in union with Christ, we are called to grow in spiritual poverty. We are called to grow and mourn more and more. We are supposed to be so grateful to know that Christ is the only way we are going to be saved by the time we're done. That we're just pushovers, basically. You guys remember Moses? Did God just speak through Moses? Didn't he speak through us too, Miriam and Aaron? He didn't say a word. He got nothing to say. He actually agreed. It's only God that came and punished the two of them. And even then, he was trying to intercede for them. Lord, just forgive them. He has no claim to say, no, I'm better than you. God spoke through me. I see God face to face. He could always say that, and that would be true. He didn't. If you walk with the Lord long enough, if you have a real life that actually seeks these things that Jesus says will make you happy, guess what? You will be happy. It wouldn't look like the happiness that you're seeking. It would be way better than the happiness you're seeking, but it will look different. Hence, you shine as a light in the world. Everybody sees your life and they don't understand why you're happy. Does it make sense? Why are you being persecuted and hated by everyone and you're happy? Where does that come from? That's what draws people to Christ because that shine is coming from what God is doing. So, how do we glorify God by good works? Devote your entire life to recognizing God is the one that is doing the good work. Anything good in you is God working through you. Engage yourself in a relationship with the living God. This would look like suffering. This would look like constantly realizing you're not good. This would look like you have to mourn. This would look like you have to be a peacemaker. That means you have to take the gospel to other people. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine approaching someone that you don't even know and saying, I want to talk to you about something and presenting the gospel to them? Can you imagine how scary that is? That's how uncomfortable the Christian life is going to continue to be. Peacemakers are gospel takers. Merciful people are people, you can break their stuff, they won't say anything about it. They would even offer you other stuff. That's what he's saying. He even says, rejoice and be glad. Why? The greatest joy that the Christian has is our names are written in heaven. And he says, if you see yourself being persecuted for the sake of Christ, I don't mean because we are ignorant or we're doing weird things or we're breaking the law or anything like that. For the name of Christ and righteousness and doing good, if you're being persecuted, Guess what? The prophets were just like that. That's actually telling you your name is really written in heaven. I don't know about you. I struggle a lot with assurance. That's how your assurance is real every day. When we shine as lights and do not hide the light that is given to us. So you get it? God does it all. God gives us the desire. God gives us His Holy Spirit to do His will. All we'll ask to do is, don't get in the way of that. Don't settle for useless things that will let you down as the source of your happiness. If you hold firm to the things that Jesus says will make you happy, those very things that make you happy glorify God at the same time. Here. There is no conflict between God's happiness, God's glory, and your happiness, your excitement, the fullness of your happiness as you've never known it. If you've had any type of happiness that you're like, that was my high point, 
I will tell you, this is infinitely more than you can even understand or receive. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good to us. Lord, we thank you that you have gathered us in this place. How, how amazing it is to be able to approach your throne and to worship you, to dwell in your presence, Lord. How grateful we are that we have a Savior and a Lord and a God who loves us, who approaches us, who allows us in our brokenness to dwell with him in the light. Father, let your light shine through us. We ask today, Lord, open our eyes to this life that you are calling us into. Lord. Open our eyes to find happiness through the words of Christ, through the things that Christ taught us will give us eternal joy and happiness. A happiness that we will not be ashamed of a thousand years later, a billion years later, and forever in your sight, Lord. Build our lives in this way, Lord. Go before us that you may be displayed. Change our hearts' desires and empower us to do the good works that glorify your name and give us the joy that we need every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.